Customer service in a pandemic doesn't leave room for second chances. Fix it right the first time, or else. Welcome to Service Calls, a podcast brought to you by TechTown in partnership with Food Service Equipment Reports. I'm Rob LaFrance, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about the high-pressure importance of delivering first-time fixes in the age of COVID-19. Joining me, as always, is Food Service Equipment Reports Managing Editor, Allison Resendiz. We'll also talk about how properly training employees to clean a bread cabinet could have saved some dough. <laughs> but first on the phone from outside Baltimore, Maryland, we're talking to EMR Parts and Distribution Manager Bill Bowling about the importance of first-time fixes. Bill, operators already don't want service agents in their kitchen, and that's even more the case during this pandemic. To compound the issue, we heard at least some service agents aren't reordering as many parts for their warehouse or trucks to help keep expenses down. Uh, Thinking of the food service side of EMR, how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected its first-time fix rate and why? Well, I think the biggest for EMR, the biggest initial effect on the first-time fix rate during COVID was the preferred tech availability. We have technicians who are trained and experienced in working on certain types of equipment, certain manufacturers, and even certain pieces of equipment within a manufacturer's line. Uh, Due to staffing limitations, some techs that were normally trained on these pieces of equipment may not have been available. But EMR, as a company, we did not reduce our inventory. We did adjust our ordering frequency. In other words, we may have had a very, under normal circumstances, we would place large stocking orders. We kind of divided maybe a $2,000 order up into two $1,000 orders or four or $500 orders, but we did not reduce our inventory for any of our warehouses or our vans. The thing we heard most from our customers was not really about, although they did have social distancing concerns, especially in nursing homes and hospitals, um, most of the f- concerns for our customers with first-time fix was the extra costs that they incur for extra trips because of all the restrictions and so many businesses experiencing financial difficulties. They were more focused on the job costs that we experienced as opposed to the social distancing rules. Bill, what service call information is crucial for dispatchers to provide and for text to demand? Well, when our dispatchers take the initial call from our customers, um, it is crucial for them to get the manufacturer of the piece of equipment, um, the model number, and the serial number. And people think the model number is really all you need. The serial number is the key to any piece of equipment because that designates exactly that specific piece. Um, The specific location of the piece of equipment meaning if it's a bank of three friars, which one are we there to work on? One of the biggest things they can do is the specific description of the, of the problem, as much as we can get from them, what is going on. Because what happens is if we get just, it's not working, that doesn't help us really at all. But this can be difficult because the call taker may not even be the person who knows what's going on. They're simply calling the service call in and the person who actually knows specific, specifically what's happening, we can't get to them or they're not, we're not talking to them. But the more information we can get up front, the, the more chance we have as a first time fix. And EMR also identifies our customer's equipment by placing equipment code stickers on them. And each one of these are numbered. So if the customer can provide us with just that number, we can pull up the pertinent information in our system. And all this information allows our tech the opportunity to attempt to troubleshoot before they go to the location and possibly take parts based on the communicated problem. Um, And it also allows us to see the service history on the piece of equipment. Another consideration for that is that if the customer states the unit is under warranty, 
Well, that requires a whole different approach because each manufacturer has their own requirement as to how we handle their warranty calls and we have to follow their process. So the tech has to know the warranty status as well as the manufacturer's requirements to run the call. So they want to know what they're getting into so they can solve the customer's problem as fast as they can. And much of the, their ability to do this is in the hands of the call taker. Bill, for the techs in the trucks, how can they best set themselves up for a first-time fix, you know, as, as far as parts, tools, and skills go? They should be trying to do as much troubleshooting or homework as possible before proceeding to the call. Um, this could include a phone call to the customer. If, if we get the units not working, they may actually reach out and say, you know, is are you getting a flame at all? Are you, can you smell gas? Those types of things. But they also may speak to other techs who've worked on this piece of equipment before. If they go in and look at the history and see that we were just out there two months ago for the same call, they may reach out to that technician and say, what, what did you find? What happened? And that can give them another piece of the puzzle. Also, again, our dispatchers assigning the correct call, I'm sorry, the correct tech to the call. Our technicians hold many factory certification, and these same techs more often than not have the manufacturer's parts on their vans. In these cases, EMR has what's called a go box, um, which can be a crucial element to achieving a first-time fix. They're go boxes or travel boxes. We have them for multiple manufacturer lines. Uh, we have them in each of our servicing branches, and these boxes contain the most used parts for a specific manufacturer. So if a, if a technician is going to this location and their van isn't, doesn't have the parts, they can take these boxes with them, but it allows them the opportunity to have the part they need available. Techs can request to take the box, but most often that comes from their dispatcher advising them to take the box before they go to the site. Is there any type of training that techs can do now to proactively prepare themselves for a first-time fix? Um, yeah, well, they can make sure they've read the customer's issues thoroughly. They can uh, do their research on both the history and the complaint before going to the site. Also, again, if they don't stock the parts on their van, take the go box. If one doesn't exist, they can certainly go by the complaint and say, this sounds like it might be a high limit problem or a thermostat problem or gas valve, thermopile, et cetera. They can look up the parts for that unit as long as we have a model and serial number and take those with them as well. And, and it gives them a better shot than just showing up empty handed. Do you have any recommendations for, say, mobile tools that techs can use to access information on site? Our technicians will all work on tablets. Um, these tablets are a great tool for our techs. They can access our inventory. Uh, they get into the customer's information, both equipment and location information. They can see contacts equipment lists, and they can see history. They can go in and see what has been done previously, and they can do that in the field. They don't need to be in this in the building to do that. They can see if um, the manufacturers called this in, who called it in, what was the complaint. They can go into the, we have a file room on every service order. They can read the exact complaint the customer gave to the manufacturer if this is a warranty job. And they can also reach back out to the manufacturer and discuss it with them before showing up because they may in, in well have trouble done the troubleshooting on the phone before the call came into us. Sometimes the manufacturer will say, take these three parts. And we will take those parts, but they can reach out and say, why are we taking these? What, what exactly happened? And the manufacturer can describe exactly what was going on when the call was placed by the customer. Thinking big picture, after the service call, what details should techs share with their company on the back end to help them make improvements going forward? Well, they certainly should correct uh, any site information that was incorrect. We have technicians all the time try to go to a location. They've been given a wrong address those types of things should be shared and corrected. Specific customer equipment details should be shared and noted. Who was the contact? 
technical details, customer details, et cetera. And of course, any and all pertinent customer feedback, whether it was positive or negative, should be shared. Bill, do you have any um, any uh, other uh, bits, uh, tidbits of advice you might want to pass on to uh, techs out in the truck? I do. I've been with EMR for over 21 years. And the biggest problem or the biggest situation we run into is communication. And it's not necessarily communication with the customer. It's internal communication. When we don't communicate with ourselves, that turns into, um, can turn into a larger problem. We need to share more information and overshare information to make sure everyone is aware of what what we're getting into, what is the situation? We show up and and we don't call first. And when we get there, the person we need to see is not there or they're using the oven. Um, those kind of things not only don't allow for a first time fix, now we have to start all over again and that, that costs us time. So just internal communication is, is vital. That's the one thing I see that gets that can be a problem if you don't do it well. Nice job. That's some great detailed information. Thank you, EMR Parts and Distribution Manager, Bill Bowling. Next up, it's From the Field, and I'm really excited to welcome back Joe Warren and Sons Manager, Garrett Warren, who took a call from a restaurant operator in Boston who was having some issues with a bread cabinet. Yeah, we got a call, um, pretty standard call. They just said the bread warmer is not operating. We got a little bit more history um, before I headed down there. They just said it wasn't making temperature. And the unit, when they go to apply power to it, it, it dies. That's, that's what we got. So what's the first thing you do when you, uh, it, when you uh, hear about a problem like that? The first thing that pops in my head is a trip breaker or um, a trip GFCI receptacle or, you know, something along that lines is that, you know, when they go to apply power and something trips, you know, something, it's either a wiring issue, um, a nuisance GFCI, moisture problem, something along those lines. And it was tripping when you turned it on, right? Yeah, so I didn't even have to turn it on. I had already got there, and it was in the um, trip position on the receptacle. The red indicator light was on. Um, so I pulled the plug out, checked the end cap, the plug, just to make sure there were no shorts to ground or internally, and I wasn't picking up any readings on my multimeter. Um, so I reset the receptacle. Sure enough, it did. It tripped again right away. So it was kind of just, you know, they have that little red indicator light on the receptacle. You couldn't miss it. So you knew it was definitely tripped. This is kind of amazing. You said you went out to uh, your truck to get some tools and then you saw something going on in the parking lot. Yeah, it was a blessing in disguise on my part because on my way out there, um, you know, I just heard a hose running. So just I just looked over to see what was going on. And sure enough, they have um, a bank of three of these bread warmers. And they had another one out there that was just being absolutely soaked with a garden hose. And um, I just asked the lady, I said, oh, I'm just curious, what are you guys doing? And um, she said she was cleaning the unit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they regularly do that? Yeah. I mean, th th this restaurant itself, I mean, they do pride themselves on on their cleaning. They're in there early and stuff like that. I, I think they maybe just weren't properly educated on on how to clean it from the manus manufacturer's perspective. So, that, you know, they had all good intentions. They just didn't realize the harm they were causing. Uh, so did you end up having to make any repairs to the holding cabinets? No. Once I saw that, you know, a light bulb went off in my head um, that, you know, sure enough, when I went back inside and I took the panels apart, the insulation was completely saturated. The control compartment with the electronic temperature board was saturated with water. Um, so the, the outlet was doing its job. It was protecting the um, end user. You know, the they were getting a voltage leak to ground through the water and it was just, just enough milliamps just to trip that receptacle and 
Um, so I removed all the soaking wet insulation, kind of threw that out. I, t- you know, took up my little nitrogen gun and just kind of blew out all the, um, the heavy, heavy water that you could and just yeah. told the customer they're going to have to leave it unplugged for a day or two and let, you know, let the components dry out and, and retry it. And what are some things that can happen if you, if, when you, uh, you know, when you kind of soak the equipment like that, uh, what, what can happen to the insides? Um, you can destroy, you know, there's a lot of electronics in today's equipment, um, and electronics and water don't get along. Uh, fortunately for this customer, they didn't, they didn't break anything. Um, you know, the, the outlet was protecting it. So it did its job. It killed power immediately to it once it sensed it. Um, but you can do a lot of harm to that. I mean, you know, control boards and stuff like that, relays, contactors, heating elements, you know, they're not designed to be saturated with water, you know? And that's not a cheap piece of equipment either. No, I'm sure it was a pretty penny, probably a few grand, you know, brand new. So how do you uh, help the operator from making the same mistake going forward? I didn't bring it up to that operator there. There there was a language barrier between me and her. I just kind of brought it to the manager's attention. Um, When I was checking out, I said, hey, you know, I think this is what's going on with your unit. You know, I was on my way outside to the truck and I did notice uh, one of your employees, you know, she was kind of soaking the warmer unit down. And um, believe it or not, when I was down at the truck and I saw what was going on, I just took a picture or a quick little video of, of the actual action itself, just because, you know, sometimes you tell a manager, to, it, it's nice for them to believe you seeing the video. So she saw it and, and no, no, no blame to the employee that was doing it. She just wasn't trained properly on how to clean it. And, um, I just explained to her just a, 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 a wet rag with mild soap and water, just, you know, lightly, you know, wipe the unit down on the outside and inside, nothing caustic, no harsh chemicals or anything like that. No heavy water being soaked on it. And, and the manager was actually really ecstatic. She was like, wow, I never knew that. She's like, you know, we just thought we were doing, you know, doing right by it. So that was good. She was happy with the explanation. You know, I've heard so many stories like this and really it just comes down to proper education for both the operator and the employees on the piece of equipment. Yeah, that's key. Um, and I and I think maybe, you know, when these units are installed or a new employee comes on to a restaurant, you know, it's the employer's job or the manager's job, the head chef's job, whoever's in charge of putting these people in the cleaning roles, they should just, you know, give them a little uh, guidance or detail. And if, and maybe they don't have the resources available to them to provide that, you know, the, the owner's manual, the operation manual. Uh, but that is key to protect your equipment. You know, that's an investment in a capital investment in your restaurant, you want to protect it. These pieces of equipment, they're not cheap. So you want to um, take care of your stuff. And, and again, they, they were trying to do that. It was just a little aggressive and it was just causing that GFI to trip. Well, if it's all about location and real estate, it can be argued it's all about training when using high-end restaurant equipment. Uh, thanks a lot, Garrett. We appreciate your time. As always, good to have you back. All right, now it's time for some nuts and bolts, and this is where we turn to you for your answers to our weekly question, which was, what's one thing you like about virtual training versus in-person training? And we'll start out with Clark Service Group corporate trainer, Matt Bridgman. One thing I like about virtual learning is accessibility for our team. With technicians spread out across a large geographical area, virtual learning offers a platform for consistent training opportunities. This is for technicians of all experience and skill levels. Overall, it allows us to provide support to our technicians, which turns into a premier experience for our customers. Next up, it's Duffy's AIS field service tech, Paul Pumpetus. One thing I like about virtual training versus in-person training is that it allows me to continue to do my day-to-day job. Um, I can still answer emails. I can answer phone calls. 
Um, and without having to travel to a, a training location, I can still do jobs in the field too. Um, and if the training is, is just a short one hour training, I can even break away from a large job and just uh, sneak away to my truck and, and do the training online on my phone or, or tablet and, uh, and still get the benefit of the training without having to leave a job site. It makes, makes it a lot easier um, to attend more trainings when you don't fall so far behind on your, your day-to-day obligations. These next few came in as emails, and they're read by some colleagues of mine. Uh, first, it's Pine Tree Food Equipment Service Manager, Chris Brown. One thing I like about virtual training versus in-person training is the flexibility it allows. I can complete the training from anywhere I happen to be at the allotted time, so there's no loss of productivity. And this from American Kitchen Machinery and Repair Warranty Administrator, Tammy Blonde. In-person training is most ideal, as it provides tax with hands-on experience led with the navigation of a factory expert to review any questions or needs for clarification. All techs learn differently, and some of the most thriving techs I've known need that kinesthetic sort of experience to absorb the information. I feel it's also important to acknowledge the teaching and learning that goes on between techs during factory training. Many team members return from their factory training incredibly encouraged with the suggestions, tips, and tricks shared by their fellow peers on how they tackle a complicated diagnosis and repair. I also feel virtual training is necessary for these times. While nothing replaces in-person factory training, virtual training offers the flexibility for our team members to incorporate ongoing education into their lives outside of their working day and outside commitments. That flexibility empowers our team members to get excited about what they're learning as it's not such an upheaval to their ordinary lives. The selection of virtual training offerings has increased quite a bit over the last decade, which helps team members select courses that are necessary to their educational needs. All that being said, the key word here is balance. All right. Thanks to Bob Kessler and Jennifer O'Neill for the read on those last two. And seriously, thanks to everyone for your contributions. We really do love hearing from you. For next month, our question is, what's your biggest challenge when working on kitchen robots and how do you overcome it? Give us a call and leave a message. The number is 312-788-7618. That's 312-788-7618. You can also email or record a voice memo on your phone and send it along to service calls at fermag.com. And that's it for this episode of Service Calls, brought to you by TechTown in partnership with Food Service Equipment Reports. We'll be back next month, so be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I'm Rob LaFrance. Thank you.